When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On SEN, this is the Sporting Capital. It is the Sporting Capital. It's where you go for all your news on a Wednesday night. And more importantly, it's where you come to have your say. one 736 the Harcourt's open line. We've got free air now up until 10.30 tonight. Phil Murphy... James Rowbottom going to join us. Uh, one text are not happy. After the break, there was going to be more of your calls and texts. And then we get Laura Kane again and just one text read out and then more if we need your info. But uh, anyway, you can feel free to call. I'm more than happy to take your call. Uh, so it was a good opportunity to use the Laura Kane grab. And since we've got more text messages, 0433981116, asking you tonight what your 2024 bold predictions are. I've got a heap of them. I'm going to read them out to you in a moment. And what you're expecting from your club in season 2024. Obviously, improvement is on everyone's lips, but what you want specifically from your club. Consistency, whether you want you know to see a certain player get an opportunity in the team, or if it's as simple as just making the finals and, uh, and having an impact come September. Whatever you want to put on the agenda, you can do so. one 736 736 Are you happy that opening round, you know, we, we have a week earlier this year that the footy is beginning. It's a month from now. It's not in Victoria. So, you know, just so I'm not accused of Victorian bias, I actually like the fact that they're going a little bit funky with it and that it's not all in Victoria. It kicks off in Sydney, obviously. I do like the tradition of certain things, and I do like the the fact that it kicks off at the MCG generally with Carlton and Richmond, but as I've said a couple of times, you've got to get with the times, and, you know, they have saw, seen an opportunity to get footy into the, the landscape a little bit earlier, and this is the best way to do it. So I don't, I don't mind as long as footy is back and we have a high-quality tournament, uh, tournament, a high-quality season, I'm looking forward to it. It all starts with the Swans and the Ds in a month's time. Someone's texted through their ladder predict- prediction for this season. So, uh, I'll, you know what? I'll read it out. Carlton on top, Brisbane, at Sydney and Collingwood round out the top four. They've got GWS in fifth, Adelaide sixth, the Bulldogs seventh, and Port Adelaide rounding out the top eight. The Saints in ninth. Uh, Gold Coast, Essendon, Fremantle, Melbourne, all the way down the bottom, Geelong and Richmond as well. And uh, it's been cut off, so I I imagine North Melbourne and West Coast are a little bit below Richmond as well. Don't mind it. People going early with their ladder predictors as well. Be a bold prediction for predictions for 2024. A couple of texts coming through right now. I love it. Gary says, uh, Brownlow to the Bont. Geez, he's been close for so many years, hasn't he? So many years the bond's been close. Premier Brisbane 
and a rising star, George Wardlaw. Love that. George Wardlaw is a star. Before I get to a couple of other texts, I'll read out my 2024 predictions. I've got the the Blues to beat the Giants in the grand final. Carlton fans, music to your ears, hopefully, but I loved what we saw from Carlton last year. I've got the Blues to beat the Giants in the 2024 decider. I've got the Brownlow medal, a race in two, and two guys from Sydney as well. I've got Errol Goulden, who I love, love, love watching, kick two ripping left foot goals from outside 50 against the Ds last year. I've got him winning the Brownlow. I've got Tom Green in second, and I think it's going to be a heavyweight battle late in the Brownlow. It could be a tight count this year. And obviously we know Nick Dacos and the likes will uh, and the Bont will always be around the mark as well. I've got Zane Dersma from North Melbourne as the rising star. I think he's going to be a really good player for North Melbourne. And I reckon the team to leap into the top four this year will be the Sydney Swans. Eighth last year, big recruiting drive in the offseason. Back to their best in 2024. Taylor Adams adds a whole nother dimension to that midfield, as does James Jordan. And then, obviously, uh, they've got uh, Brody Grundy in there as well. The teams to slide, now, one of them controversial, and I don't think they're going to slide massively. One of them is Melbourne. When I say slide, I think slide down the ladder, I think they finish sort of 8th or 7th to 10th. But, again, it's Melbourne, and they are a very professional outfit. I just think, I don't know, with all the distractions around Clayton Oliver, I'm not sure they're fully ready to go for 2024. I could be very wrong. And Fremantle is is the obvious one there. The Coleman medal, I've got four names written down. I think Max King comes back to his best and finishes fourth. Nick Larkey, who is always in the goals and one of the most underrated goal kickers in the competition, I think he will finish in third. And then it's going to be a... Big battle between Oscar Allen and Charlie Curnow. And I know what you're saying, that Nick Larkey and Oscar Allen play for the two worst teams in the competition at the moment, but they kick a lot of goals for their respective teams each and every year. So I think, obviously, we know Charlie Curnow, how good he is. You know, could he be the next person to potentially get close to 100? I'm not saying he will kick 100, but get close to 100 potentially. And I reckon that Oscar Allen is ready. He is ready and raring to go to be that big, big, dominant key forward in the competition. Works his backside off for the West Coast Eagles. So I think they're going to be the two who battle it out for the Coleman medal. The breakout players of season 2024, he sort of broke out a little bit last year, but I think Nasai Wangane Malira from the Saints is going to take another big step. Beautiful ball user across halfback. Big season for him as well because he's out of contract, I believe, at the end of next year. So if the Saints can keep him and a couple of their young brigade, it'll be handy. George Wardlaw as well. Ed Allen from Collingwood. Pies fans everywhere are frothing over Ed Allen. Big body, 20-odd years old, and I think he could be a, another great find for the uh, for the Collingwood Footy Club. And I, I like the game of Josh Rochelle. I think he is ready to, to go to the next step in 2024. I think the biggest news of the year, and it's something I've thought in the last couple of weeks, Dustin Martin to announce his retirement before the end of the 2024 season. I think Dusty, especially with the new media rights, the way that they are, and Dusty not a big talker to the media, I just can't see Dusty wanting to deal with this for very long. Every player has to be available after a game and in the lead up to a game, and I think Dusty will just be like, hey, I've done enough. I've got enough money. I've done everything I need to in the game. I don't even think he'll go to the Gold Coast. But I think I think by the end of 2024, 
Dustin Martin will announce his retirement from the AFL. I think that's going to be my biggest story of 2024. And the other one is, and it's it's a shame for Fremantle supporters and for the team, but I, I think Fremantle and Justin Lomu are part ways before the end of the 2024 season. Your thoughts, one 736 736 Happy to, uh, to debate any of it with you. We've got a couple of texts coming through and we'll get to them in just a moment. But uh, on the Harcourt's open line, Gary's in Carnegie, wants to talk about opening round. Gary, love it or lump it? Uh, John, how are you going? Good. I reckon it's one of the great things that's happened. It's getting people don't want academies, but truly for a national competition, it's got to grow up north, New South Wales and Queensland. Yep. And it's I don't know why people get, you know, balls in a knot over it. It's just, <laughs> it is what it is, and it's fantastic. And I've got a cricket one for you too. Yep. If I can, please. You're a local cricketer. Um, you obviously read lead a local cricket and sport. Yep. Paul Amy leaving that has just left that. It's just a shambles. Yes. Yeah, so- tonight on the Country Week cricket. They've got four teams missing. There's no seeker this week. There's no CSB or any of that. It's just, it's so sad since Paul's gone, who's one of the greats of local sport. Yeah, records are stuck. Must say, Gary, must say, I didn't realise that Paul Amy had left the leader newspaper. That is a shame because he was a as good a track watcher as you'd see. He'd get around to most leagues and most games on a weekend, and he'd report the local side of cricket, which uh, a lot of people love. And yourself and and myself, who are involved in local cricket, always like to read the results from other competitions. So I didn't realise that. Thanks for letting me know. But yeah, shame that Paul Amy has uh, pulled up stumps. Okay, there you go. All right, beautiful. Gary, appreciate it. And I'm, uh, I'm glad you're a fan, of the, uh, a fan of the opening round. It is something different, something we might get used to, and I think it'll be like a night grand final, which I think is going to come in the next couple of years. I think the AFL is slightly gun-shy on it, and that could be another big story of 2024. I think that 2024 could well be the last daytime grand final we see and in 10 years' time, if it is to be a daytime, a, a nighttime or a twilight grand final going forward, in 10, 15 years' time, it's going to be the new norm. The next generation aren't going to know or remember much about the, the daytime grand finals and it'll just, it'll just be the normal going forward. So I think stuff like that will eventually just become what we, uh, what we are used to. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Get involved on the temper text, 0433981116, or the Harcourt's open line as well. Uh, that was Gary. We read out his text. Charlie Curnow is a dud. Good final series last year. Carlton won't make the eight this year. That's off this temper text as well. Interesting call. I've got Carlton winning the flag. I think they're well and truly in the sweet spot. I think they got all things sorted after a real slow start, but they came home with an absolute wet sail last year, and I think they're going to pick up where they left off. Uh, a couple of players come back. Zach Williams will be a, an interesting one to see whether he gets another game and uh, well, I guess if he fits back into the Carlton 2023. 20, uh, and I think they're just going to go from strength to strength. They get a fit Sam Walsh back and firing from the start of the season. I reckon, uh, I reckon the Blues are going to be the team to beat in the 2024 season. I think the Giants are going to be right there with them. As well, and I think that'll be the grand final. Carlton and GWS, wouldn't that be fascinating? A team, GWS, who uh, a lot of players have left and gone to play for Carlton. I think the numbers would suggest that uh, a lot of 
you know, the former Stephen Silvani era GWS and at Carlton. He brought a few back. It'll be interesting. Uh, an all-Sydney grand final off the text as well. Five interstate teams to finish in the top eight. There you go. It's an interesting one. It'd be a, a very lonely city of Melbourne if that was the case. I'm interested to see where people sit on Geelong as well because Geelong is a team I can't get a read on going into 2024. We, we always talk about their age, and I think that's a cop-out from all of us. I think we need to respect what they what they put on the park each and every week. I, I just wonder if they're a little bit more beatable than they once were. And, and obviously, you know, they they are getting older, and that is a factor that you can weigh in on. But the young players are really good. You know, they've got the Henry boys down there, and they've got Tanner Bruin as well, uh, Jai Clark coming through, who they, they really rate. So there's a lot to like about uh, Geelong in 2024, and they will open the season against the Saints down there at GMHBA Stadium. They'll uh, unveil the new stand, so they're going to have a full and even fuller house at GMHBA Stadium. It'll be interesting to see what comes of Geelong. I think they're the hardest team for me to read going into uh, this season. Each team has their pros and cons, but I think Geelong, we know how well coached they are. We know how good the and talented their team is. Uh, another big call could be, I think Tom Stewart might well be the All-Australian captain by the end of uh, by the end of the season as well. Absolute freak of nature is, uh, is Tom Stewart. But it's just, are they getting enough out of their core group of players? They became a little bit more beatable during 2023 than uh, than they were the year before, obviously, in their flag run. So tell me what you think about Geelong. one 736 I think the hardest team to read going into this season of all of them. Each team has a little bit, you know, of a pro and con, but I can't see where, you know, the, the deficiencies are, but where the positives are for the Cats either. So I'm really on the fence in terms of the uh, the Geelong Footy Club. But any Geelong fans out there who watch them closer than I do, let us know. Because I'm not off them, but I'm not fully on them either. So I need to know where I should sit on the Cats. And I'll get a better read on that in the next couple of weeks as well when I start really delving into a little bit more uh, Geelong and, and footy stuff in general. Uh, Shooter and Killside says Sam Durham... In the all Australian in the all Australian squad, Sam Durham. Gee, he's he's not far away from taking the next step. Sam Durham, big raps on him. Bombers fans everywhere will be just hoping and praying that he can be a star of the competition. And I don't mind that text. Really, don't mind that text. Sam Sam Durham, all Australian squad. So not in all Australian says shooter. All Australian squad, which is still a pretty good accolade. To have as well. David says, Jai Newcomb to win the Brownlow medal. Like it. David from Pakenham. That's a real left field one. Real left field one. But Jai Newcomb, since bursting onto the scene in the mid-season draft, has been a massive revelation for the Hawks. Big body. And if the Hawks are going to just continue to track upwards in their trajectory over the next couple of years, Jai Newcomb's going to be their number one guy. I think he is their number one guy now, obviously, with, with O'Meara and Mitchell gone. Jai Newcomb takes the reins as the number one guy in the midfield and, and leads a, a young midfield and inexperienced side. And, and Hawthorne aren't going to be the perfect product this year. We know they're still young, but they've got some really good talent coming through and well coached by Sam Mitchell. But I don't think Hawthorne are going to be as bad this year as they were last year. They, they weren't even that bad last year, but they, they just didn't have the consistency across the board 
last year that they would have hoped for. And so I, I think they're going to they're going to rise ever so slightly. I think the Hawks. Do I think they'll play finals? No, but I think they'll they'll be in that bracket of sort of ninth to thirteenth. So I think that that's a positive. And you you look to twenty twenty five to hopefully have another leap again after some potential recruiting. Is Bailey Smith on the move to Hawthorne or Collingwood? That could be another unanswered question. Uh, Nola off the text also says, Josh Tracy will surprise you all in 2024. Why is everyone riding off the Dockers? It's a good question, Nola. I, I think the Dockers are a real... They're, they're a hard one to get a read on as well, a little bit like Geelong, but I think the fact that you lose one of your key posts, not in terms of stature, but just in terms of ability in... Lockie Schultz, who goes to Collingwood out of nowhere. I just think, I just think it, it, there's a lot going wrong at Frio and not enough going right. Now they will win enough games at home to be in the conversation, probably. But I, I just didn't see enough from Frio in 2023 to think that they can be a rapid improver. Now I hope they, I hope they prove me wrong for our WA listeners. I do, I really do hope they prove me wrong because. They are an exciting team when they're up and going to watch. But the problem is that it's few and far between with Frio. And, and yes, they get their their suite of games at home and they play their 12 or 13. And out of those, they might win sort of, I don't know, six to eight. Puts them in the conversation. But they also became a little bit more predictable last year. And, and their forward line, apart from Jai Amos, was, was all over the place. So if they can get Jai Amos to be that 50-goal forward and if they can get Josh Tracy up and about and work out what their their best 23 is, then, yeah, of course, they can be in the conversation. But I, I've got the Dockers sliding in 2024. Gaza also off the text. Josh Carter lead Port Adelaide into a prelim and Horn Francis Brownlow. Interesting. So Ken Hinckley in the gun for Gaz. That's going to be a fascinating watch throughout this season. The coaching... Merry-go-round, and obviously Ken Hinckley, we know Justin Longmuir under pressure. Is Luke Beveridge under pressure like the like the reports would suggest? I think it's all going to blow over on Luke Beveridge, if I'm honest. I, I think he's going to produce something big for the Bulldogs as a, from a coaching front this year. That Bulldog side's too, too strong and too powerful and, and too talented to be just dwindling in the bottom half of the ladder. Now, if they do... Miss the finals again. I think it's curtains for Luke Beveridge, but I don't think they. I don't think they will. I've got this feeling that you know the Bulldogs are going to make a real play, and they they could be in that top half of the ladder. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. A couple of Saints fans off the text saying that the Saints will play finals again in twenty twenty four. I'm just I'm going to temper my thoughts on the Saints. You know where my allegiances lie and, and you know, I, it was a great season from the Saints last last year. But And I think Ross Lyon has that chip on his shoulder that everyone's writing them off. Kane Corns is one of them. Kingy thinks that they're going to be a really good side. I think they're still two years away from being a, a powerful finals unit, the Saints. Owens, Windhager, Filippo, if they can keep him... Wanganeen Miller, Max King still young. I think, you know, they've got the bones there of a side that can perform in finals in a couple of years' time, but he's at 2024. 
I think finals again would be a surprise and, and finals would certainly be a pass mark for the Saints in 2024. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. How many teams are in the bracket of nine to thirteen? About eight sides, says Paul. Oh, I don't. I don't have eight sides in the bracket of nine to thirteen. I've got you know, I've got Frio below that. I've got uh, West Coast Eagles. I've got North Melbourne. You know, there's a. I got Richmond in that bottom six. So, you know, the the I know that. This time of year, we can prophesize and we can always say that, you know, there's you've got 12 teams improving and only eight can play finals. But, I'd, yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got a few that are still out of that bracket. But it's more hypotheticals in this sense as well because there is a couple of teams that could finish in that bracket. The, the law of averages will suggest teams are going to finish higher and teams are gonna, some of those teams are going to finish lower, obviously. But that's, that's where I feel like is their sweet spot not necessarily saying that's where they will finish, but that's their sweet spot in terms of where they finish on the ladder. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Would love to hear from you out there. Your team, what are you expecting in 2024? And your bold predictions for season 2024. Brownlow medalist, Premier, Wooden Spoon, who rises, who falls. Biggest stories of 2024. Anything you want to put on the agenda. We're going to take more of your calls and texts next, and then we'll hear from James Robottom in a couple of minutes' time. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven six. 736 I've got a Signet Boost Power Bank and 18 holes of golf at Club Mandalay to give away, so definitely get on the line. I'm only giving them to callers tonight. That's a Signet Boost Power Bank and 18 holes of golf for you and, and a mate at Club Mandalay. So get on the phone and give us your thoughts. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. This is the Sporting Capital on the Harcourts open line, you can get involved. Your move, your Harcourts. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts. John Donahoe with you. More on the other side of this. On SEN, this is the Sporting Capital. Wednesday night, and that means it's the sporting capital right around the country. Australia languishing in the women's one day. A five for 59, they are. Played some weird shots to get out, have uh, some of these Australian batters. 175 needed off 33 overs, and another wicket's just fallen. Georgia Wareham's just been knocked over for, for a fourth ball duck, and Australia are a six for 59. It's not a position you, you often see the Australian women's cricket team in. But a beautiful delivery by Luby. And, yeah, she's chopped it on to her leg stump. Has Georgia Wareham. She's gone for a duck. Talia McGrath at the other end is 22 not out. And Australia 6 for 59, still needing 175. So at least Perry came and went as well. We'll give you some quick scores before we get back to your calls and texts on the Harcourt's open line. So, Elisa Healy was gone for four. Phoebe Litchfield made 14. Beth Mooney, a second ball duck. Talia McGrath still at the crease on 22, not out. Elise Perry came and went, uh, chasing one outside the off stump. She went for two. And Annabelle Sutherland also out for one. So, plenty of undisciplined shots here. And now it's up to Ash Gardner, who actually went off a little bit earlier in the game with an injury. So, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if she'll bat here. 
Alana King, Kim Garth and Megan Shute due in after Ash Gardner, but she's continually pushed down the order. So might be uh, all over here for the Australians in North Sydney. I'll keep you up to date with all of that as well. Ash Gardner is, has just strode to the crease. So be interested to see what sort of limitations she has. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I want to get your thoughts on your twenty twenty four predictions in the AFL. I've got a Signet Boost Power Bank to give away and eighteen holes of golf as well. So if you want one of those, all you have to do is call on the Harcourt's open line. Give me your thoughts, and I'll most likely give it to you. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to be involved as well, your teams. Uh, well, your bold predictions for 2024 and what you're expecting from your club as well. Before we get to a break, James Robot, I'm going to join us on the other side of it. Uh, one off the temper text saying, beware of a fit Cats in 2024. Remember they won 16 in a row not long back until a few injuries derailed them. Okay, yeah, it's a good point. Very good point. And I think, you know, a long, a longer break for them this time. So they had the, they had the shorter break after the grand final did the Cats. Now, they have a longer break and a, and a, a lengthier preseason. There's a chance that they'll, they'll be rock-hard fit going into 2024. Uh, Tim says, hi, John. Uh, the Blues v Collingwood in the grand final and the Blues win West Coast and Essendon to hold up the bottom two spots. Tim and Berwick thinks the Bombers are going to be at the bottom of the ladder. Wow. Okay. I don't agree with that. I think the Bombers are going to improve, certainly. But I don't think they're going to be bottom. It's an interesting call from uh, Tim and Berwick. Bombers fans, be interested to hear from you as well, how your season is going to unfold. Some good recruiting in the off-season. Is it time for the Bombers to take the next step? I, I didn't even speak about them in the first little bit and how they might be a team that can sneak in. But only eight, only eight can get in, and I've got probably seven or eight already that are in the calculations for finals. So... I want to know where the Bombers sit as well. Probably another team I can't get a good read on until we see all the new players playing together, but they certainly went on a big recruiting drive in the off-season. Gravina's in Thomastown, wants to have a chat about the Pies. Hi, Gravina. How you going, mate? How are you? Yeah, good, good, thanks. Just uh, got back, was down at the training today. Back-to-back's looking nice and sweet, I'll tell you. Is it? Okay, the Pies looking good again. Yeah, the boys are all slimming down. Everybody looks like they're taking that serious. Everyone's together great. Oh, I don't know who's, who's thinking Essendon's going to do something, but it's just all about the Magpie train still. The Magpie train? Okay, fair enough. And look, when you're the reigning premiers, Grav, you can have the this sort of confidence. I mean, until someone rips that cup out of your hand in September of next year, that's the sort of confidence Collingwood supporters are allowed to have. You won the flag, so that's 12 months of gloating and, uh, and I guess, just promoting the fact that you are the reigning premiers for uh, season 2024. So I like where your head's at. You think the pies are uh, up and about. Hey, you can have a Signet Boost Power Bank for your troubles, Forty four ninety five. They. How about, uh, How about that round the golf, mate? I'll, I'll, I'll just leave the prizes to me, Gav. I'll, uh, I'll hand them out as I see fit. Thank you for that. Uh, you can have a Signet Boost Power Bank. If you don't want it, you tell my man uh, Benny back in the studio and he'll uh, he'll redistribute it. Uh, Al's in Gladstone Park on the open line. Hi, Al. Hey, how you going, mate? Good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, listen, um, I'll, I'll go play that, that round of golf. I just had my uh, 
first kid, so any excuse to get out for a round would be great. I might take Grab with me too, actually. Right. Well, I need. I can't just. You can't just call and ask for it, Al. I need to hear what you what your predictions uh, are for twenty twenty four. You know. No worries, mate. So Brisbane will beat Carlton in the grand final. They'll get the job done. Bring in. Uh, bring in Ashcroft. They'll get the job done there. They were a kick away last year. They'll get the job done. They'll come back strong. In terms of the Dons, mate. Um, Nick Martin will win an All-Australian jacket in the back line. Kyle Langford will win his first All-Australian jacket in the forward line. Was stiff not to get it last year. He was good. And uh, the Dons might win their first final in 20 years. Tell me tell me your thoughts. I assume you're an Essendon fan, Al. Tell me your thoughts on Jade Gresham and the recruit of him from the Saints and where he might fit into yeah. things. Look, I wasn't too bullish on it, but I will say I've been to a couple of training sessions so far, and I'm not going to lie, he's looking really lively down there. Massive upgrade from Snelling. Obviously, would I, would I be paying him 700 plus? No, but I do think he's going to surprise a lot of people. We do, we were missing that sort of player up in the forward line, and I think he'll he'll definitely make an impact. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said, Al. All right. You know what? You've persuaded me, Al. You can have a round of golf. 18 hours of golf at Club Mandalay. Uh, you and a mate and a cart. Drink as well. Uh, speak to my man Benny back in the studio and he'll uh, he'll sort you out. But you, you, look, you asked and you shall receive, all right? Thanks a lot, brother. You have a good one. Good work. Al in Gladstone Park there on the open line. Justin, before we get to a break, we'll get to him uh, in Manor Lakes. Hi, Justin. G'day, mate. Look, um... I'm a Collingwood supporter, obviously, so um, I think that Collingwood will do well. I think that um, you have to improve, otherwise you're going backwards. Mm. So Collingwood need to do something about the forward line. That's been their sort of Achilles heel for the last few years, I think. I think um, Essendon's going to struggle. I reckon Sydney's going to slide. Mm. Um, West Coast be on the bottom. North Melbourne have to improve. Lots mm. have been gifted... You know, five, four or five recruits, the same as um, uh, Gold Coast have. So I think they're going to be the two big improvers for the year. Okay, so you've got the Swans. Let me get this right. You've got the Swans sliding. You've got... Yeah, yeah. Collingwood's ex-vice captain. He won't help them much. He's 31, 32 years old. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I like it. Who, who do you support, Justin? You're a Pies man, are you? Yeah, Collingwood, yeah. Okay, you would have been stoked yeah, with, what, uh, with what they produced last year. Yeah, I think it's. A, I reckon it's the best final series I've ever seen. It I mean, was... they they won three finals by a total of two goals. Uh, you know, like even if you're not a Collingwood fan, you yeah. want to watch a close game. They were fantastic. Yeah, well, I mean, even Carlton Melbourne, Carlton Sydney. I mean, the Collingwood GWS game. It was one of the best and most entertaining final series. It's exactly what you want for the showpiece uh, part of the year. And I think you're spot on, Justin. Hey, great call. Uh, appreciate it. And good luck to the Pies again in 2024. We're going to get to a break. Swans young gun, James Rowbottom, going to join me on the other side of this. You're listening to the Sporting Capital here on your home of sport, SEN. On SEN, this is the Sporting Capital. 
Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Been a good show tonight. We're talking about your 2024 bold predictions in the world of AFL. And this man could be part of yours. James Rowbottom, 24 games last year. He's a star for the Sydney Swans, who I think are the team are going to take the biggest leap and jump in to the top four in 2024. He joins me on the line now. Hello, James. Hello, mate. How are you? Going well, going well. Uh, how's the pre-season been going? You'd be ready to get stuck into games by this point, surely. Yeah, very much so. It's um, it's obviously always pretty uh, long and grueling in the heat and humidity up here. But um, yeah, we're um, everyone's really fit and healthy, and yeah, very excited to get stuck into games. Do you get up to anything interesting in the off season? I, I know you guys uh, tend to get away and go to Europe and play golf. What, what was the most interesting thing about your off season? Uh, yeah, probably just got over overseas with a few of the other boys, which was really nice to just let my hair down and. Twelve hours to come back, um, ready to rock and roll, and we've come back um, pretty early before pre-season started altogether after that, and then, um, yeah, hit the ground running and put us in really good stead, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're a month out from the season today, which is which is remarkable. I mean, it's felt like a, a long off-season. I, I don't have to tell you that. You guys actually kicked the season off this year, which is very rare. It's usually Richmond and Carlton. You must be excited at the SCG opening round this year, not round one, but opening round against Melbourne. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, I can't wait to get back onto the SCG with a, a big home crowd and um, open the season. It's a, it's a pretty cool and hopefully pretty cool experience that we're going to be able to have. I don't want to dredge up old memories, but obviously you, you finished eighth last year. You, you dropped out in the finals, lost to the Blues in a tight one. Was there a big review after that and, and sort of going into this year, the plan to, to get better and, and rise back up the ladder? Yeah, we did have a couple of meetings Um before we took off for the off-season after that um, Carlton loss and just identified a few areas that um, we thought could have um, big impacts for us. And um, obviously then leading into the trade period, we um, got a few players to assist in those areas. And, um, yeah, we're hopeful that... um, we can make those few adjustments and go a bit better this year. Let's talk about a couple of those big recruits. We know James Jordan joined during the off-season. We know Taylor Adams did as well. And, and big Brody Grundy, I mean, you, could, you probably can't do much better than that. Three really talented players that are just going to add massive, massive elements to your team. Yeah, I think it's um, been well reported, but um, they're all um, in a very similar boat and that they've all played a lot of senior footy and finals footy and, um, yeah, as you said, we'll add a lot of um, experience and, and talent to our team week in, week out. So it's a very exciting period of time and I can't wait to um, see what the season will hold with them in the team. Obviously, the pre-season, they've shown um, exactly why we've got them. It's been very impressive so far, so I can't wait to get actually started. Do, uh, do you... Do you, I guess, go and get advice off them? I mean, you're 23 years old. You've played enough footy now to, to be, a, a, I guess, a not a veteran, but an experienced player. But do you, do you go to a Brody Grundy and a Taylor Adams who have played for a, a significant period of time and just try and get under their wing a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think they do that um, quite naturally coming from other clubs. It's been great to have a, um, a different point of view on, on slight adjustments we could make um, throughout the midfield especially, um, which has been great. And then, as you said, yeah, anything that you can think of that um, they could give you advice on. It's been great to be able to go to them and, and build that relationship to allow us to play better footy together. Absolutely. And they're going to be big, big parts of uh, what the Swans are building to this year. Hey, you announced a, a standalone captain yesterday, Callum Mills. He's going to lead the club for the very first time. You've had a, a little rotation policy over the last couple of years. 
you don't have to give away too much, but was this a, a player-led thing to have just one captain or did the club come up and say, look, we're going to do a vote and we want just one captain this year? Why did it change, do you know? Um, it was just, uh, I think it was off the back of Ransom Parks, um, thinking the time was was right for Millsy to take over and um, we've always been pretty player-driven with our leadership decisions and um, it's just no question throughout, amongst the playing group and coaching staff that Millsy is an outstanding leader and will always put the club first. So it was, um, it was a no-brainer um, in the end once Ransom Parks thought it was it was time. So um, the club's very, very excited and has a, obviously... Millsy has the full support of the um, the playing staff as well, a uh, playing um, group as well, which is very exciting. Absolutely, your own form last year, James. You were you were in really good form, as I mentioned. Twenty four matches for the Swans. You averaged about eighteen possessions a game. Uh, an elite tackler, eight tackles per game, and about five clearances a game as well. You must have been happy with your own form going into last year and and to the back end as well. Yeah, obviously it's um it's nice just to play consistent footy. I guess that's what I. Um, really strive to do, I guess, just play play my role each week. And um, if that as it did last year, got me a game each week. I was um, yeah, just happy to keep playing footy. It's um, been a bit of a trend over the last two years to um, just play my role and get a game. And it's just really exciting to play con- uh, continuous footy with the group that we've got at the moment. It's just um, so enjoyable, and I get a lot of um, yeah, I guess enjoyment out of it. What is it about the Swans? We, we always talk about the Swans are never down for too long. I mean, eighth last year, and, and you missed the finals a couple of years ago. But apart from that, the Swans are always there, and they've got a really good culture. Tom Papley does a little bit of work with us here on SEN Track, and I'll get to Paps in a moment. But, you know, you speak to Paps, and he's just beaming with pride for playing with, for the Sydney Swans. What is it about the Swans and the culture there? Um, yeah, well, I think as you said, we've only we've only missed the finals twice in the last twenty years or so, which is a pretty which is a pretty remarkable effort, um, if I do say so. But yeah, as you said, the culture's um, from what I've experienced has just been unbelievable. I think we're quite fortunate that um, through the back end of twenty nineteen, I think I think we lost over a thousand games of experience through um, players retiring, and um, my age group and a couple of years below were very fortunate enough to and have been fortunate enough to play a lot of footy together since then, and it's really um, developed a really strong culture through that age group, and um, we're all very close, and it's very much a family club in in that a lot of us come from interstate and um, spend a lot of time together, and we're all just incredibly close um, off the field, and which which flows on on the field, I guess. Absolutely. The Swans are, they're such a good, you guys are such a good team to watch. I need to ask you about Paps. The, the, I guess he, from what we see, and he banters with David Taggart here on SEN track, he, he can be a bit of a pest around, uh, around here. What's he yeah. like around the club, Paps? Because he, he, he bounces in here, he loves his horses, has a bit of fun with tags, and, uh, we see the funny side of him. What's he like around the club? He's very much like that as well, but, um, <laughs> in addition, yeah, exactly. In, in addition to that, he's, um, Leadership and care um, for the group is second to none um, as well. He's an amazing asset to our team, obviously on the field with the way he goes about his footy. He's one of the best small falls in the comp, but then off the field with his um, leadership and compassion for all the boys. And then as you see, um, his um, energy and, and humour as well just really... Um, galvanises the group and it's yeah it's a massive benefit for us he certainly rates himself a golf i don't know if you're part of a crew that plays <laughs> with him can you shed any light on his golf game no i'm not part of that crew uh, um, he does go all right though he's a, he's a handy left-hander um, <laughs> at golf and 
Um, yeah, I'm not part of that crew, so I can't shed any <laughs> can't shed any light or or any um any funny stories. Do you, do you play golf yourself? How do you get into that no. crew? No, 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 I, no, I don't set foot um on, onto the course very often. Um, we had a golf day um, up in Coffs Harbour, and I think that's my um, my quota of golf balls hit for the year. Wasn't <laughs> too great. Good man. Hey, your preseason games are coming up. Uh, you got GWS on Thursday, the twenty second of Feb, and you've also got the Brisbane Lions on fr- on the Thursday the. 29th of Feb. What are you hoping to get out of those? Obviously, you don't want to, uh, any injuries out of the squad. And, and who can we expect to keep our eyes on? Who's impressed in the uh, in the preseason? Uh, yeah, obviously, leading into round one, uh, those two games will just be really to sharpen our axe. Um, we've had, um, as most clubs do, plenty of intra-club match, simula- match simulation over the past um, couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll have over the next few weeks as well, leading into the Giants. But I think that'll just be the final sort of touches to get us ready for round one. Um, uh, an, op- an opening round against Melbourne and um, I think one to watch um, we've got a couple of young boys who have been had a massive pre-season um, like Corey Warner Gush Heldrick and Matt Roberts um, the three of them have barely missed a session and um, we'll be looking to um, crack their way into the side and if they do they'll be um, very impressive Speaking to star Swans midfielder uh, James Robottom James I won't keep you too much longer I, I am a, a massive rap I called a couple of ga- a couple of Swans games last year I'm a massive rap on Errol Goulden I think the whole competition is I think he's going to be right up there for the Brownlow this year as well talk us through what he's like as a teammate and how you guys uh, see him on field because some of the stuff he does is just freakish I think against the D's I want to say late in the season last year he kicked two beautiful left foot bombs from 50 and had about about 45 possessions. Yeah, his talent is um, is obviously next to none. He um, has a great footy brain and sees the game um, very well as well. And then um, his leadership for a young player is also um, unbelievable. He's able to um, see see the game very well and then deliver messages. And when, when he speaks, everyone listens, uh, which is very impressive for a 21, 22-year-old. Uh, so... Um, and he's, and then obviously, if you see when you watch him, his work rate um, is just unbelievable. His, his ability to get up and down the ground and go from contest to contest, and then obviously deliver when ball in hand, um, everyone's able to see. So he's very impressive. Uh, full stop. Absolutely, twenty nine days to round one. You must be, you must be pumped. And well, opening round, I should say, you must be pumped. And Brody Grundy going to take on his old side. I know you mentioned it a little bit before, but when it gets this close to a season starting, is, does it feel like it's just dragging on? more and more the pre-season? you just want to get going? Uh, not really. The pre-season structured um, pretty well. As I said, the, the match simulation starts and the, the running blocks kind of drop off. So you get you start to get a taste for um, what the games are going to start to be like. But um, as you said, the, you get itchy for um, opposition to come up against opposition. Uh, you get a bit tired of playing against each other when you all know what each other's sort of trying to scheme and, and plan to do during games. So that part can get a bit frustrating this time of year. But other than that, um, it's structured very well. And as you said, we can't wait to get going. Absolutely. Hey, last one. What's life without Buddy Franklin like? You you would have played with him for a couple of years and obviously such a dominating figure in the AFL and uh, around the club. Uh, it must be different without Big Bud. Yeah, it is different. Um, he's obviously a very imposing presence. And um, at this time of year, you... He usually starts to get going. He really um, got to see why he was one of the best players of all time. Um, his talent, competitiveness, and work rate really shone through. His game started to started to come come in the preseason. But um, yeah, it's, he's obviously been missed, and 
off the field as well. He was very close. He's very close still with a lot of us boys, and um, having him up in Queensland has been a massive loss. So we see him down more in Sydney as the as the games start to roll around. Absolutely, James. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Appreciate you giving up some of your time. A month away from the season kicking off, and uh, we're looking forward to covering you here on AFL Nation and uh, seeing you throughout the season. Good luck. Thank you very much. Have a good day. James Rowbottom there, star from the Sydney Swans. They're on the up big time. I've got them finishing top four in 2024. No pressure to James and uh, and the crew there, but they are a fantastic footy team. 0433981116, Who's going to make the move in the AFL in 2024? On SEN, this is the Sporting Capital. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Great to have your company right across the SEN network, 0433981116. It is Super Bowl week. Jared Waitley is in town. Ben Graham, Larry Fitzgerald Sr. is going to be on the call as well on Monday from, well, very early in the morning because G. Waitley, he could call anything. And he's going to do a great job with the Chiefs and the 49ers. And one man who I haven't spoken to for a while, but I'm looking forward to uh, having a chat to from ESPN. He is my great mate, Phil Murphy, and he joins me on the line live from Las Vegas. Hello, Phil. Big John, it's always a pleasure to chat to you, man. It's a busy week here. Uh, I, I have the time. If I didn't have the time, I would gladly make the time. It's great <laughs> to connect again. You're a good man. Hey, what are the vibes like in Vegas? I feel like this is the one everyone wants to be at. You know, Sin City. Well, what's it? What's it? Paint the picture for us. Well, the picture right now is a little rainy, but other than that, there's no raining on the parade here at Super Bowl 58. I mean, where I'm standing, you can't pivot, you know, more than 15, 20 degrees as you rotate around and see, not see a sign somewhere advertising the game, advertising the teams. There's a big, I don't know, 100-meter uh, glowing billboard I'm looking at right now, 49ers and Chiefs. But you mentioned the demand of the game. I mean, the Super Bowl is the pinnacle of American sport, right? But the average price of a ticket is the second highest we've ever seen in Super Bowl history. Right now, it's about $9,000 U.S. You do the maths, you know, with the current conversion rate, that's what, $14,000 roughly <laughs> Australian for an average ticket. The oh only Super Bowl that was higher was the, the COVID Super Bowl 55 that also featured the Chiefs and Tom Brady, and that had a, a an explicit limit on how many people could be in the stadium there in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. So for a full stadium, this is the most expensive Super Bowl ticket ever. It's a product of the continual growth of the game and, frankly, the demand to watch these stars perform. Wow. Uh, that is a lot of money, and it's something I would love to do in my lifetime, Phil, but if if we're talking 14 Gs Australian, I'm not sure it's uh, it's in my budget at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, man, if it weren't for me professionally, my missus would not be uh, not be happy with me if I if I shelled out that kind of coin. But it's funny, even a uh, Christian McCaffrey, kind of tongue in cheek, but I mean, I don't fault him for it. He and his family have said they looked into getting a suite, and with the price of a suite, which ha- which has listen all the bells and whistles and amenities, two million dollars U.S. was the going price for a suite for the game. I mean, you're talking a guy who's participating, and in, in, he could retire tomorrow and be set for life. He's saying it's an unwise financial decision. But man, this is, you know, the, the place to be A-listers, um, you know, wealthy, wealthy people, the, the, the elite of the elite, and some lucky fans who have won tickets to the game. They're all, they're all going to be in attendance. But even for those who aren't fortunate enough to be here, the world's going to be watching. Last year, 115 million Americans watched this game, more than 50 million addition, additional viewers worldwide. Those numbers will go up. 
Um, you know, it's, it's just the continual growth of the game. The NFL is a marketing machine. It is an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, and 23 or 26,000 people at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. The festivities officially kicked off. I think the two teams were introduced at the stadium. What, what was the vibe like there? Was it more media or was it all fans? Was it a mixture of both? What was the, what was the vibes like? Mate, mate, you said it. 23, 24,000 people who paid $30 a person. Again, you do the conversion, $45 Australian just to watch players get interviewed. There was no competition going on. There was there was very little entertainment. I mean, the, the for their part, the cheerleaders came out and they had a little dance routine, but people were there just to see their favorite players in person get interviewed by, by you know, dopes in suits like me. Um, it was about, I don't know, a 75-25 split for, for San Francisco, and we have some metrics that say, on game day, it'll be a 60-40 split in favor of the 49ers. But, yeah, I mean, that, that speaks to the magnitude of the game. How many sporting codes would be mm. absolutely fine with 24,000 fans paying to show up and watch their game? The NFL puts on a, a, an interview session, and they get that kind of audience, live audience, on a Monday night local, no less. It is staggering demand. Yeah, it's unbelievable to think that, you know, as you said, two teams just, just getting interviewed. I saw uh, Travis Kelsey was getting G'd up by the 49ers fans. He had George Kittle next to him. So they were sort of mingling the two teams, but it's it's such a big part of Super Bowl week, this sort of stuff. And Travis Kelsey feeds off that sort of stuff as well, the uh, the abuse from fans. Yeah, a lot of these players do. And frankly, the it goes down to the mutual respect between these teams. I mean, you know, fans are always going to be a little hostile toward one another, but these teams, these coaches met each other in a Super Bowl four years ago in Miami, uh, a game that, you know, whilst the score was an 11-point spread, the game was far more closely contested than that. It took a comeback, a uh, late comeback by the Chiefs to, to get that win in Super Bowl 54. These coaches have earned the respect of each other. They do respect one another, um, and these players do as well, so in the overlap between the media sessions, they had the 10 stars from each team and the coaches cross paths, shake hands, uh, kind of, you know, a, a stare down before the proverbial heavyweight fight. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a cool atmosphere to be a part of, but now the teams have gone their separate ways. There are media availabilities that are private just, just for credential media like myself. And then, you know, these teams get practice sessions and all that, because despite all the pop and circumstance, there still is a game to be played 60 minutes of football, Sunday night, local, here in Vegas uh, Monday morning if you're watching on ESPN or listening on SEN uh, Monday morning by you. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the matchup, have you have you spotted Jared yet? He's gallivanting around Vegas. He's been in helicopters. He's been on the strip. He's, he, he's like a kid in a candy store at the moment. Have you seen him on Radio Row just yet? Man, he is impossible to miss. I saw him <laughs> at opening night last night. He and I actually had a successive chats to Mitch Wisnowski, um, I know he's you know a Western Australia product, but still native son nonetheless. And it'll be cool if the 49ers do pull off the win. It'll be cool for, for the neutrals, I should say, that it would be the first time ever an Australian has played in and won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Jesse Williams was on IR for the Seahawks, who won it a few years ago. And every other Australian who's played has been on the losing side of things. And Mitch said, yeah, it's, it's his second Super Bowl. It'd be quite an accomplishment. So he, we, have a, we have an excerpt from that interview that's going to run on our NFL Blitz show Monday morning, or not Monday morning, excuse me, uh, I believe Friday morning on ESPN. But yeah, Jared and I were, were catching up as we were waiting in the queue to talk to Mitch because, you know, even though, yes, Australian media has, uh, has understandable support and interest in him, he's somebody who, you know, they do love him in San Francisco. He's got, he's got that look about him that is easy to cheer for, and you never know, he might be keen to, to go off on a run on a fake punt, so... <laughs> 
Um, local media loves him as well. He was in high demand, more so than most punters that I've covered in these Super Bowls. Well, that was going to be my next uh, question. Our man Mitch Wisnowski, Jared played a bit of that interview this morning on, on his program. We're due to get one. Australia's due to get one Super Bowl champion at some point. Will it be this time around, do you think, Phil? I, I do think uh, I am leaning the San Francisco 49ers, though. The margins are going to be minuscule in this game. It would not surprise me at all if Monday morning you guys are watching confetti fall on the head of Patrick Mahomes in, in jubilation yet again. But if not Mitch, I mean, the growth of the game in Australia is remarkable. Jordan Mailata, the Eagles offensive lineman, is the tip of the iceberg. We have more Australians and Kiwis coming through the International Pathway Program. I was actually at the Pro Bowl games in Orlando. They had flag football teams, one from the Gold Coast, one from Auckland, who participated. And the one from the Gold Coast in particular performed very admirably, got a number of wins. Um, these flag football programs are, are popping up throughout Australia. The youth game is just another sporting code that's available to these kids many of whom don't specialize. One of the young men we spoke to, um, you know, played a little rugby league, played a little gridiron, so he had some sporting options. And it just shows that we are not done with Australian influence in the NFL. It seems a high priority for the league to tap into some of the athletic talent from your part of the world. And if not, Mitch, soon enough, we're going to see an Australian hoisting a Super Bowl trophy in a game in which you participated. Absolutely. We're speaking to ESPN NFL expert Phil Murphy, my great mate Phil Murphy. Phil, Brazil has the latest to be, I guess, um, thrust onto the world stage in NFL circles. Will Australia get a game, or is it just logistically too hard over the next 10 years, let's say? Over the next decade, I think what's going to have to happen is people will have to see it work. Um, you know, Brazil, it's a far distance, but there isn't much of a time zone difference. It's going to be a Friday Arvo game here, Saturday local by you. And that's going to be a situation in which once the teams travel and it runs logistically smooth, the NFL says, okay, maybe this is a game we can do annually. We've seen the explosion in Europe where it went from one game a year to five to seven, and it continues to grow. I think what's going to have to happen is the NFL is going to have to take a preseason game early on, have a team do a little bit of a camp, see the appetite for fandom, whether they put it at the MCG or you know, in New South Wales at one of the arenas there, and if they go and they sell 70,000, 80,000 preseason tickets, the NFL is going to pause and say, okay, it's not should we do this or can we do this? It's how do we do this? How do we get a game there? And I think Brazil is going to be a good footprint. It is a long way. But if you take a West Coast side and say, hey, this is your week one game, neutral site, you know, San Francisco and Arizona, you guys are going to go play a game in, you know, Brisbane or at the MCG or whatnot on a Friday in week one, and you have kind of a, a few extra days to recover and get back before you play a game, I think they will figure out the logistics once the NFL at large realizes the demand and sees it in action. So I think it's a two-fold process. Mm. Get a preseason game back there, fans show out, show up, and really continue to have that, that growth and interest that's been evident in Australia, especially over the last decade or so. And then the very next domino to fall will be a regulation, regular season game. Mm. I do think we'll see it happen in the next 10 years or so. I, I'm firmly of the opinion, Phil, we'd get – Seventy to 80,000 people, if not more, at the MCG. If they uh, promoted it right, if it was the LA Rams or a big team from the West Coast, as you said, with the time difference, it'd be, it'd be a bit easier. I'm certain the MCG would be packed out. We did it for Liverpool, and I think they do it for the NFL as well. Oh, mate, 100%. The sporting appetite in Australia is, is really um, elite. And, I mean, I see it as well. You know, I mean, we, we do... We do our show. We're stateside. I have my boots on the ground at these NFL sites, but 
all the TV I do is for Australia. So you're not really sure if anybody's seeing it. But then out on these Monday night sidelines, like, I met somebody who just shouted out, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And I turned, <laughs> I was like, okay, so you, yeah, you, I, I don't know how you know me, but you do. And he's like, oh, no, mate, every morning he's in Perth. Yep. So for him, the, the time change is even more drastic <laughs> for some of these games. And he's like, no, 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 you know, my, my son and I, we have our own fantasy team. And that's what the NFL needs to realize. You and I can sit here until we're blue in the face and say, there's a real appetite here. But until, the, until they take the chance with a preseason game first and then a regular season game shortly thereafter, um, that, that's, that's what it's going to take. But for the NFL, they've kind of maxed out their market value here. I mean, if you look at last year, 2023, the top 100 television shows in the U.S., not sports television shows, most 100 watched shows in the U.S., 93 were NFL games. Another three were college football games. That's 96 of the 100. One of the remaining four was a TV drama that aired immediately following the Super Bowl. So you're talking the NFL has almost completely maxed out the top 100 Mm. shows, television shows on American TV in a year. The only place to grow is internationally. They've had success in Europe. They're kicking the tires in South America. They've had great success in Mexico. Australia has to be the next domino to fall. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Hey, before we let you go, let's get into uh, the matchup uh, on Monday. You'll hear it here on SEN. You'll watch it on ESPN as well. But the path for both teams, Niners had to come from behind in a couple of games. And the Chiefs, well, they beat up on Miami and Buffalo and, and did it probably the hard way as well. So they're hardened. And I guess the, the Chiefs, they're, uh, sorry, the Niners, their ability to come from behind is unquestionable as well. Yeah, and, and that's, I think it's played you know, in, in their favor internally in the locker room. There's still people, you know, I've had chats like this where they'll refer to Brock Purdy as a game manager, the 49ers quarterback. Mm. And I'm like, mate, look at the stats. If you took a blind CV of how these quarterbacks have performed this season, I think you'd have a very hard time figuring out which one's Patrick Mahomes, you know, the multi-time MVP, multi-time Super Bowl champion, and which one's Brock Purdy for the 49ers. I don't think this is a situation in which one team is – incapable of coming from behind. I think both of them have the, the horsepower offensively. They have the, 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 the type of you know, absolute bona fide gun under center at quarterback to come back. It, should they be in a position where they're down seven or 10 points late? So for San Francisco, it's going to be um, t- attacking the, the blitzes that they know the Chiefs are going to deploy, being able to punish when the Chiefs either show pressure and come and have the blitz or show pressure and have a sim pressure and don't. Brock Purdy's ability to throw outside the numbers and really stretch the field. And then Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't been outstanding against zone defense. San Francisco loves to deploy that. If he can dissect that San Francisco zone, they're going to have a lot of problems and it's going to open things up for their great running back, Isaiah Pacheco. A lot of different ways these teams can win. And it's what makes this game, one, so captivating to enjoy Mm -hmm. as as a fan, but also as somebody in my position who's trying to explain how this thing could go, so difficult because there really are a number of variables for how each of these teams could win. Absolutely. And you look at the 49ers, McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kittle, that's all on offense and obviously Brock Purdy throwing it to him. And for the Chiefs, I think their only weakness aside from, you know, uh, well, I mean, they've got a they've got a really strong offensive line as well, but their only weakness might be the wide receiver core. They've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling and, and a few others, but it's not as powerful as the other side of the field. Yeah, and you would think it would be because they brought back 10 of their top 11 pass catchers from a year ago. But, I mean, all year, you're seeing the same tape I am. They're dropping balls. Travis Kelsey, honestly, he's looked old up until the playoffs. And he discovered the fountain of youth in January. And that, for me, is a big question. The momentum the Chiefs built in the postseason, will that continue with the extra week off? Or will they revert to 
frankly, the underperforming that we saw for the lion's share of the season. And for San Francisco, they have so many different ways they can beat you, but that Chiefs defense is pretty airtight. They offer very small windows for opposing quarterbacks, very small windows for opposing running backs. It makes the job for Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey pretty difficult to sort out. And the 49ers haven't won a, a Super Bowl since 1994. So you almost think, have to think that the pressure is on them. They want to break that drought. The, the Chiefs, we know how good they are. And Andy Reid has them really well drilled. It's, it, it, on paper, it looks like a really, really good matchup. And it, it's set up for a really good Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not advocating one way or another if you're keen for a punt. But th- I think those markets do tell a story. And that this game opened with San Francisco as a one-point favorite. It's kind of wiggled around a little bit. They're currently two-and-a-half-point favorites, but the total's pretty low. So what that tells me, just from a, um, you know, an analytical standpoint, is we expect a close game. We expect a low-scoring game. We expect, we expect this to be 24-21 either way. That's very, very difficult to sort out. And that's what makes it so stressful, not just for these offenses, but these opposing defenses. Because when you're thinking that it's going to be a low-scoring game, one missed tackle can completely turn the tide. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, a couple more before we let you go, Phil. Uh, what does the next few days look like for these two teams? I mean, they've had their media commitments. I know they've got private media stuff as well. But uh, what does it look like now? Just practice or is there more stuff still to come? No, it's, it's, it's one more private media session for each side. And then, yes, practice. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have, I think, one more fan appearance as well. But as we get closer to the weekend, it's crazy. It's, it's almost that, that calm before the storm. You feel that you know, the, initial, the initial momentum of an opening night starts to fade and then the player availability starts to pare down. And then as you get to the weekend here locally, that it gets very quiet with the players and you can just feel the tension build. And for us, you know, that's, when, that's when us on the uh, NFL Blitz on ESPN, we're going to be the loudest Friday, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday morning, all building up to the game. But in Vegas, it's going to be fan festivities and enjoyment while the players – privately, quietly figuring out and, and finalizing their strategy as, as they head into, for many of these guys, what will be the most important game of their lives. Yeah, and uh, tell us as well, before we let you go, as far as stadiums go and Allegiant Stadium, new on the scene as well. You know, we saw the fancy new uh, SoFi a couple of years ago. Where does this one rank for you? you? You would have been there a couple of times. Talk us through it for an Australian perspective who's never been there. Yeah, I mean, SoFi Stadium is, is kind of in a class of its own. I don't mean that to diminish Allegiant Stadium at all. Um, when, when Jerry's World opened in Dallas, that was the gold standard. And then SoFi opened, and that became the new gold standard. I mean, it was $5 billion U.S. to build the thing. Really hard to compare. And that, that became a centerpiece, not just for the NFL, but for the Olympic Games coming up in Los Angeles. I would say Vegas is at the top of that second tier, kind of on par with AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Jerry's World as a stadium that will take your breath away. And I've been fortunate enough to cover a lot of stadiums in world sports. I've been, I've been at the MCG. I've been at the FCG. I've been at um, GNSA arena in Brazil. I've, I've, you know, I've been at Wembley. I've, I've covered a lot of stadiums. SoFi is in a class of its own, but Allegiant still has that absolute wow factor and that unique element. They do a great job, especially for partisan support when you're here for a Raiders game of making it absolutely deafening. And for a stadium that just doesn't have history because it's so new, it still feels very important, and the Raiders fans show out. Now, I've never been there for a neutral site game, such as the one we'll have uh, at Super Bowl 58, but the stadium, the, the layout, the, the scenic, the atmosphere, they had Bruce Buffer from the UFC <laughs> introducing the teams yesterday. I mean, if that doesn't get your, your blood pressure pumping a little bit, 
I don't know what will. So <laughs> I don't know exactly what they have in store for you know the immediacy of kickoff because it's a television product more than it's an in-person product. But Super Bowls past, they've done a, they've done a great job of making the in-stadium atmosphere feel special. And in the entertainment capital of the world, I expect something absolutely breathtaking. Mm. Super Bowl Monday morning. Uh, it's going to be it's, it's appointment viewing. It's where NFL history is going to be made. So Allegiant Stadium is an appropriate venue for a game of this magnitude. Yeah, we can't wait for it. And before we let you go, I do have to ask you, I mean, Taylor Swift flying from Tokyo to Vegas, then to Melbourne. Uh, is she going to make it, Phil? I mean, we need to know this. Is she going to make it to Vegas in time? I think we've had all the bad luck with travel. I mean, there were some logistical issues, people coming in with storms on the West Coast. I know a few of uh, our Australian counterparts parts were grounded in San Francisco and Los Angeles when they came across because of some weather they're having there. And then once landing in Las Vegas, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden was on the tarmac and a lot of the planes couldn't move as, as he was looking to safely take off. So I would hope all the travel hurdles are behind for, for Taylor's sake. Um, but I, I also think... She doesn't really have to deal with some of that, you know, the rest of us. She's not sitting there worried about, you know, getting her bag checked and layovers. <laughs> I think she's flying at an elite level that she can sort it out if she needs to go through her set a little more quickly in Tokyo, yeah. get here to Vegas, turn around, and then continue on with the Australian leg of her tour. Um, I think she'll be just fine. Uh, I, I think so as well, and uh, I'm sure the 14, 16-hour trips on a private jet won't be uh, won't be too bad. Hey, Phil, it's always a pleasure to uh, catch up. We haven't done it for a while, so hopefully we can do it again very soon. Enjoy the festivities. Your eighth Super Bowl. You're on fire going uh, going to Super Bowls at the moment. Hopefully this one's another blinder. Mate, great to chat to you. Uh, if, we, if you and I don't chat again, enjoy the game. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk again here real soon. Absolutely, we will. Phil Murphy there from ESPN talking all things Super Bowl Monday, this Monday, coming up with Jared Whateley and the crew. And you'll see Phil on the ESPN coverage as well. More Sporting Capital on the other side of this. On SEN, this is the Sporting Capital. Sporting Capital right across the SEN network here for another half an hour or so. So get involved, one 736 736 or you can hit us up on the temper text, 0433 But a couple of texts come in while we were having a chat to Phil Murphy. Uh, Dean says San Francisco give away too many penalties, which will cost them. I'm going to go Kansas City 27-24. I think it's going to be one of the great Super Bowls we've seen at a tremendous venue. And Jared Whateley is going to call the pants off that. Brian Indramana says, Indramana says, the dogs will be the big improvers. Their bottom six looked horrible last year, but this year their bottom six look amazing. It's a good point. The doggies, I still think the doggies have a little bit to give. And uh, I don't think the Luke Beveridge coach scenario that is being talked about, that he might lose his job. I don't think he will. I think he'll, uh, I think they'll steady the ship a little bit. Hey, Update in the Aussie cricket, uh, the women, they're doing very well. Doing very well. Fighting back. Eight for 140 here after 26 overs. 94 needed off 19 overs. Still plenty uh, of cricket left. I mean, they they are two wickets away from falling. But uh, eight for 140, Ash Gardner and uh, Kim Garth are 
at the crease and doing their thing. So I'll give you a quick update on their individual scores. Kim Gar 37 not out. And Ash Gardner, 34 off 46. Uh, in early, this is Nick in Bulleen. In early 2015, I attended both the Pro Bowl, which was a good game that year, and Super Bowl in Arizona. What a week, Nick in Bulleen. The Pro Bowl is a little bit of a, I guess it's not as important anymore. And it just, it's just a skills thing now. They don't really care. They play a flag football game and they, the scores are like 70 to 30. So, uh, it gets a little bit silly, but it's a nice thing for the fans to come out and see some of their favourite players from the season. Gaz, who uh, spoke, who texted us a little bit earlier about Port Adelaide, says, think about it. Port burned out in the finals with no rucks and thin backline. Took care of that in the off-season with Soldo and Radigalia, and Georgiatis will be back after a knee opera, uh, after a knee and a top forward. Horn Francis is super fit. Top four has to happen. They've got some good players, Port Adelaide, and this is certainly the year. This is this is boom or bust, I think, for for Ken Hinckley and this Port Adelaide side. They've been so close for so many years. They got belted in that final, we know, in Brisbane last year. Fell away in the back end of last year really badly, and that was where, where a lot of question marks came on Port Adelaide. They, they have certainly, and I think Soldo is a nice little, um, I guess, inclusion for them because their ruck stocks last year were woeful, woeful. Obviously, Scott Lysette was, you know, in the side, injured. They had Dante Vizentini come in at a certain periods as well. They had Ollie Lord in there who I think is going to be a really good player, Ollie Lord, but I don't think he's their number one ruckman as of right now. Sam Hayes got injured as well. So Port Adelaide are in an interesting space. It's it's this year or bust, I reckon, for them because they've almost invested everything in to this period of time being their window. And they're such a good team at the Adelaide Oval. I think we'll see the traditional, you know, they'll win all their games at the Adelaide Oval. And then it's a matter of how they perform come finals time. So we'll wait and see how they uh, how they perform and back up after a disappointing year last year. Very quickly, before we get to a break, hey, I actually missed the ODI last night. I forgot it was on. ODI is unfortunately dead. Play pink ball test and T20. ODI World Cup once every four years, it's dead, says Curtis in Brisbane. It certainly uh, was an irrelevant game yesterday and a short one from an Australian and West Indies point of view. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll hear from Swans coach John Longmire on the other side of this. On SEN, this is the Sporting Capital. We're just about out of time. It's been great to spend another Wednesday evening with you. I think I'm back next week, so we'll uh, we'll do it all again next Wednesday as we draw even closer to the start of the AFL season. It's getting very exciting. And if you are from the uh, the AFL states and the NRL states, because the NRL is kicking off very, very soon as well, it is a great time of year, especially for football lovers right across the country. Hey, an update from North Sydney over before we finish up. Australia have gone down by 84 runs on the Duckworth-Lewis-Stern method. Australia bowled out for 149, chasing 229 for victory. A little bit of a late resurgence. Uh, Kim Garth, 42, not out. But once Ash Gardner nicked off, 
late in the piece there for 35. They were in all sorts and uh, Megan Shute was gone for one. So Australia with a bit of soul searching to do and South Africa on the board in this one-day international series. Marazan Cap, three for 12 off her five overs uh, and multiple wickets across the board there as well. So uh, that series is now tied at one all, if I am not mistaken. So uh, a good series going on there, and uh, that'll continue over the next couple of days. 0433 is the number. Appreciate all our texters coming in tonight. Don't forget as well that it's a big weekend of sport. SEN track here on uh, on SEN. Uh, plenty of racing action tags and Sammy Highland will be in the CF4 stakes coming your way on the weekend as well. And uh, we've got plenty of sporting action right across the channels of uh, SEN. T20, first T20 Australia in the West Indies kicks off on Friday in Hobart. Uh, and also don't forget about the Super Bowl on Monday because uh, it is very, very significant. Big thanks to Benny over in Adelaide for sorting things out today been a pleasure to spend the last couple of hours with you on your home of sport. This has been the Sporting Capital. John Donahoe is my name. Until next time, see you again very, very soon.